All right, it's good to be here. Uh, love SNU, especially now that uh, we're at Shilim. Uh, you know, you guys are very dear to our hearts. And uh, for those of you that haven't been able to come out to New Philly Shilim, I want to encourage you guys while you're here to at least visit. Stop by uh, at least once. We'd love to see you there. Uh, we're very close by. You guys are going to love the title of tonight's message. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those days where like trying to prepare for the message and I spend this long chunk of time in prayer and God's given me this great information for another meeting that's uh, this Saturday. And so I've been praying and praying and I think Michelle kind of confirmed uh, what was on my heart. Uh, she was leading prayer earlier tonight. Um, and so tonight's message is going to be fasting and idols. Yay. Fasting and idols, these are two subjects that everyone loves to hear about. Uh, a little bit about myself, I know uh, Rona introduced me a little, but uh, for those that don't know me, um, I've been living in Korea for 10 years now. I'm originally from Northern Virginia, D.C. area. I went to school at Virginia Tech, University in Virginia, same as Michelle, same as my wife, Sky, and uh, studied engineering there. I uh, graduated in 05, uh, prayed, and God had different plans for me. After working construction for a period of time, God then sent me to Korea to live in Seoul near Gimpo Airport, where I've been serving at an orphanage ever since. I lived in the orphanage for three years. Uh, I started an NGO in 2006 called Jerusalem Ministry, uh, which is a volunteering ministry for foreigners who want to serve the orphans. And then in 2010, I was led to help plant the Itaewon Church plant uh, for New Philadelphia Church. So I took a team of nine others, and we went to Itaewon, started a church there. That's where our sister Emily uh, attends. And then in 2013, started a scholarship program for orphans in Korea called Oak Tree Project. Uh, and then in 2014, started Chilim, uh, that church, uh, with my wife, Sky. Sky and I, we got married in 2011. So it's been... Pretty eventful life, I guess. It's a pretty interesting resume, wouldn't you agree? Uh, the way God has led me. And one of the main reasons why God has been able to bless me with the life that he's blessed me with. And I, I can truly tell you today that I am satisfied. I'm so blessed by the life that I live. And I'm going to share some about it uh, today. It's a lot of the reasons why I'm able to do what I'm doing and enjoy what I'm enjoying is because of the idols that God revealed in my heart and granted me the grace to let go of. And so today's going to be some stories about my own personal stuff uh, from the past. And I hope that you guys will be able to learn from me and be encouraged. Uh, and that you guys too will also find your freedom and your true satisfaction in the Lord. But before I get into story mode, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Didn't realize this podium was broken. It looks like somebody threw it. <laughs> okay. Uh, why, why don't we switch, actually? This thing's like leaning uh, pretty bad. Matthew 6 is going to be verse 16 through 18. This is Jesus. He's a uh, Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking to his disciples. Uh, this is one of his longest teachings in Scripture. And he hits on fasting which isn't spoken about that much in Scripture. There's just commands to fast. And uh, I'm going to read Matthew 6, 16 through 18. It says, When you fast, and that you is singular, you. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their face to show men they are fasting. 
I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. But when you fast, now that you in the Greek is now plural. So you had you singular. Okay, you pray, you fast and pray by yourself. And then you are also expected to do corporate fasts. That means you fast with a group. You pray with a group for a specific topic. Verse 17, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So this, Jesus is interesting. He doesn't give this long explanation about why you fast. It's almost like we're supposed to just understand it, why, why we fast. It's supposed to be a given. And for the Jews at that time, for the people that believed in God at that time, many of them were fasting like two days a week or one day a week. Can you believe that? Okay, it was just a part of their discipline. For us, it's like, oh, you know, I try and pray every day or I try and read the Bible every day. For them, it's like I try and fast almost all the time. And it's quite, quite different from us. And so Jesus, the premise was he just knows that they're fasting. And he says, you're expected to fast by yourself. You're also expected to fast corporately for different seasons. Just don't make a big show of it. Seek the Lord in your fasting. What I want to tell you guys, what's special about fasting, it's, it's that it's an expression of devotion. It's an expression that God, so much more do I hunger for you or do I want you than the thing that I am fasting from. It's not that what you're fasting from is evil. It's not that food is evil or, you know, TV is evil if you're fasting from TV or something else is evil. It's just that, God, maybe this is satisfying my soul too much and it's starting to become an idol. Or, God, I just want to show my devotion to you because it's something I enjoy. But for a season, I'm going to put it down so that I can focus on you. Fasting is not meant to be torture. If it is torture, you probably shouldn't do it. Or you should change the way you're fasting. God doesn't want a bunch of tortured lovers. God wants devoted lovers. People that are truly sincere in their desire for him. So I'll just tell you uh, how I first fasted. My story is uh, 9-11, 2001. I was a sophomore in college. And uh, I know, it's a long time ago. And I remember going to the weight room in the morning and a bunch of the meatheads, these huge guys, were around the TV watching CNN. That's really bizarre, okay? Usually they're watching, you know, sports or they're just talking, you know. But they're all gathered around the, the uh, TV and they're talking about war. And I'm like, well, that's really weird. I didn't even look at the TV. And I went, finished my workout, and then I came back out and I saw the TV and I saw that the plane had hit one of the buildings. And uh, I went back to my room, dorm room, and, and um, watching the TV, you see the second plane hit. And when the first tower fell, um, and then the second one fell as well, but when it first fell, there was such a sinking feeling in my stomach and such a just like, oh my gosh, like what is going on? And, and I, I remember I just lost my appetite. Okay. So this wasn't like sincere devotion to God or anything like that. This was just like, I lost, I, I was just so shook and uh, I didn't know what to do. And, you know, then the second building fell and I also got a phone call that day um, that it, not even connected to the, to the attacks, but that a girl that my mom knew her father had died. And my mom asked if I could go tell her the news and drive her back to DC. That's intense by itself, along with 9-11 happening and the Pentagon also being hit where some of my friend's parents worked at. Thankfully, they were okay. This is quite a day. Um, 
Thankfully, the girl, some other people were able to talk to her that knew her and, and were able to take care of her. But my heart was so heavy. And I didn't know how to react. And my friend uh, from another school, a good friend of mine, he called me and we were just talking and praying. And he said, hey, do you want to fast with me? I'm like, fast? Uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's not eat any food or, or drink anything but water uh, for 24 hours. Are you, are you up for that? And, you know, I thought, like, I don't even want to eat right now. Uh, yeah, I'll fast with you. And that was my first experience fasting. So I fasted for 24 hours. And honestly, it wasn't that hard because my heart was so heavy. And it was just more praying for the nation. So rather than so much more do I hunger for you, God, it was so much more, God, do we need healing. And I'm, I'm just focused on our need for healing, our need for grace. And so that was my first time fasting, and I just could sense in my spirit afterwards that God was pleased. I don't know how to explain it. It wasn't like God spoke in a voice or anyone knew that I was fasting other than my friend. But I just knew in my spirit that this was good. And I'd never been taught on fasting. I, I didn't know really you know, what it was all about, but I just sensed this is something I needed to continue to do. So the next month, I decided I will start fasting once a month, just in the same way, 24 hours, just, just drinking water. And uh, I decided that my prayer requests would not be about me, but would be about other people. And so the next month, I prayed for a youth pastor that I knew who was going through a lot of struggles with his wife. And uh, it wasn't looking good. And they were heavy on my heart. And so I, I said, all right, God, I'm going to just fast for them for the next 24 hours. And I prayed for them. And, you know, I went about my day, did, did my schooling and everything. And a few days later, I get an email from the youth pastor who had no idea I was praying and shared that they had gotten some breakthroughs. And it was such an encouragement for me. It was like, wow, this is powerful. And so I did it again the next month. And I can't remember the second uh, or the third time I fasted. But again, the prayer request I lifted up was answered very quickly. And it was like God was, it's not like I was going to do that every single time I fasted. But early on in your faith, he'll often answer a lot of your prayers to get you revved up, you know, to like build your faith that this is good. And so fasting became a discipline in my walk, and it really grew in college. So sophomore year, I would fast once a month. Uh, my third year, I would fast um, once every two weeks. And then I think the second semester of that year, I started doing once a week, and just fasting once a week. And I did that through the rest of college. And there's seasons in life where fasting is easier than others. When you get older, fasting gets a lot harder. But when I was in college, fasting wasn't that hard. I'll just be honest. It wasn't that hard for me in college. Now it's really hard. Um, I, I, my body just like, I can get sick easier. I'm just like, what's wrong with me? Um, but in college, there was such a grace. And I grew with God so much. And there was an acceleration that happened. God gave me greater clarity. God gave me greater devotion. He just began to satisfy me in such deep, deep ways. But my fasting wasn't just regarding food. You see, there were other things in my life that God wanted me to fast from. And these are the stories I want to go into. And the first is girls. <clears throat> the idol of girls. Would you, would you believe it uh, that I used to be girl crazy? And uh, Yeah. So I didn't, my, my story is, is that I grew up in a Christian family and uh, I went to a private school, which only had about 20, 25 kids in the class and were with the same classmates from kindergarten to eighth grade. Some kids come and go, but very small school. And that's what I was used to. So it was like the same girls uh, and, you know, just the same friendships. And when I got into high school, I went into public school. So I went from having like 20 classmates 
to having, I think I, we had 360 in our freshman class uh, in high school. And so I went from just seeing like a few girls every day from when I was little to, you know, eighth grade to suddenly like, wow, you know, so many girls and so many different nationalities and like different like types and, 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 and everything. And I was, I was pretty bad. Uh, I would sit in class and just like stare. And to the point where I remember there, one, there we had like a fire drill and we're outside and, and a guy in my class, I didn't really know that. Well, he's like, yo, I mean, you like Becky? I'm like, be- be- no, no, why? Why? He's like, you're staring at her all the time, man. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and I didn't realize like how bad I was. And, and so I, I was like wrapped up in girls, but I was also very timid, um, very insecure, very shy. And so I didn't pursue just have crushes, you know, like at a far. And, um, you know, my friends started dating at that time. All my best buddies started dating. And as they started to date, I started to feel more empty. I got a date too. And the irony is, is that after my sophomore year, during that summer, I got saved. That was when I heard God's voice for the first time at a retreat, just during worship, um, you know, we're worshiping the Lord. And, and I didn't really have an active faith then. I just knew how to show up at church. I knew I was supposed to read my Bible and, and be a good kid, but I didn't have this active relationship with God. But that night, um, people are, are worshiping, and I was just kind of standing there, and God gave me some memories of my past, of some people showing me love. And in those memories, I could like see that God was behind them, and that in every memory that I received love, God was there. And he spoke to me in that moment. He said, I love you. That was just it. That was all I heard. It was like, I love you. And it was just a few memories, but it was enough to like hit me that, wow, all my life, I've been ignorant that you've been active in my life, that you are Emmanuel, God with me, that you've been behind every person that has shown love to me because we love because God first loved us. Any love that we received is from God. And so in that moment, it was just like revelation of his love and revelation that I had been ignorant of it. And I hadn't been appreciative of it and, and just that he really cared for me. And so I, I broke down in tears, which was not something I, you know, ever really did. And uh, I committed my life to the Lord that summer at that camp. Then I, uh, you know, go back junior year of high school and, you know, I just continued to really be interested in girls. And believe it or not, I used to flirt a lot, used to give girls the wrong idea all the time. And uh, I just just was kind of enjoying being, you know, that guy that's friendly and, you know, and, and doing stuff and, and everything like that. But then I began to really want just a girlfriend. It's like, all right, I've had all these, you know, friends that are girls and I've had a lot of fun, but I haven't had my first kiss yet. I'm a third year in high school and I haven't had my first kiss. Like my wife friends got their first kiss in like sixth grade, seventh, you know, seventh grade. I wasn't that close with Asians yet. And so I was used to like more of the, you know, white people culture and, and, uh, you know, all my friends, my Christian friends at all, you know, uh, gotten all their, you know, they'd broken up with multiple girlfriends, you know, like, what about me? And I remember I was prayed and I said, I could sense the spirit. And I wasn't even that close, you know, with God, but I could just sense in my spirit that this was bad, but I didn't care because I knew what I wanted and I wanted it. And I got on my knees and I said, God, I want a girlfriend. Give me a girlfriend. And, uh, I prayed it. And once you know, a guy gave me a girlfriend and it was the last person that anyone in the school, including myself would have ever expected. It was this Indian girl. 
uh, who's very brilliant, very smart girl, and also she was pretty arrogant, uh, pretty just like she knew she was smart, and she would let people know it, and she you know would criticize people. People didn't like her. I didn't like her. Uh, <laughs> but then we were on the tennis team together, and you know got a carpool to to tennis camp or whatever, and we start carpooling together, and she was really friendly to me, and I started to see sides of her that I had not seen at school before. Now, I didn't know because I was really dense that she liked me and that part of it was she was, you know, being really nice because, you know, she liked me. But I started to feel like, you know, there's compassion for her. She, she you know, her, came from a Hindu family and, and she was hardcore atheist, though, um, just had a lot of, like, hate for God. And I just had this compassion, you know. And, and so we started hanging out a lot one-on-one, which is not what you're supposed to do. And it started cuddling and, and crossing boundaries. And it got to the point where we were pretty much dating, but we weren't saying we were dating. And then she confronted me like, uh, when are you going to ask me out? You know, like, I was like, oh, I, I can't date non-Christians. She got so mad. <laughs> oh, man. She hated God before. She got, she got really angry. And, and I, I realized, like, I've been such a hypocrite because basically we were dating. But, you know, I just hadn't, like, verbally just communication so stupid um and so we started dating i i got convicted of my you know being a hypocrite and i I just i knew it wasn't right and i knew it was doomed from the beginning but i said god i just want to have fun i just want a girlfriend and so I'm, i'm gonna date and and so we dated and let me tell you we had a great time we did for like four weeks it was great like four weeks we had a lot of fun and then the mask started to come off, you know, and started to fight and started to have these issues. Also, she was not Christian. And so when the top topic came up about boundaries, she had no boundaries. And she was like, oh, do you just want to kiss? Like, that's it? Like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's not why I should hear. And, and uh, I, you know, started to mess with my mind and... We were just really stupid with our boundaries, and uh, it got to the point where we were really close, you know, on the couch watching movies and, and things like that, and I realized that if I spend another night with her like this, just the two of us, you know, alone, I'm going to cross boundaries. I'm probably going to touch her, and then if I touch her, it's like, you know, door's been open. Let's just go. I'm going to go all the way with her. You know, some of my friends have gone all the way, you know, why not? God can forgive me. And that was where I'd gotten at. That idol of girls, that desire and stuff, I mean, it was, it was taking my soul away. It was taking away any desire for God, and it was like focused right on her. And I actually prayed that night, but I didn't pray. I just t- said to God, God, if I spend another time, night with her, I'm, I'm just I'm probably going to end up sleeping with her. It was just like, whatever. That's what I said. I wasn't like, God, give me strength. It was just like, God, you know, this is the way it is. Okay. And uh, thankfully, by the grace of the Lord, and because my parents were praying really hard, uh, we broke up uh, like two days later before we had another date night like that. And uh, so we broke up, and it was one of the worst breakups you could ever hear about. And I don't have time to tell you all the stories post-breakup. But it, it could put together like a movie. 
the, how bad it was. And uh, yeah, I'll tell you another time if you guys want. Um, if you guys want to stick around, I'll tell you, you know, I'll tell you upstairs or something. But uh, it was bad. It was so bad, the breakup, because she kept wanting to be friends, but really she wanted the relationship. But then she had all this like anger and frustration and, and just different issues that she'd be all sweet and we'd start to be friends again, but then like boundaries starting to get weird again. And then suddenly we'd have a fight and she had just grown up in kind of an abusive household. And so what she knew was really bad fighting. And so we'd yell at each other, you know, hang up now. She, she brought out a lot of me like stuff within me that I didn't know I had and uh, made me really bitter against women. So uh, my senior year of high school, I fasted from women more because I was bitter against them. I just hated girls. I hated them. Uh, but I could also sense in my, it's funny, I, I hated them and yet I still kind of liked them. I'm not going to lie. Uh, and I felt like God was telling me like, I don't want you to date and, and, the rest of high school. And I could feel that. And I was just like, I'm not going to date anyway. Like I, I don't like girls, but there actually was a girl that I kind of liked. And she was a freshman, uh, in the youth group. And, uh, but I just sensed that not supposed to date and man, I'm so sick. I, I tried dating. It was, it really disappointed me. I need some time apart. Well, I graduate, I go to Virginia tech, which is like four and a half hours away, but I'm still thinking about her and she kind of liked me already. And I could, I could tell. And so we'd write letters, you know, as friends and, and things like that. Back when you would actually like mail a letter, can you believe, uh, and (laughs) who does that? Uh, and so I thought about her while I I was at, at Virginia tech and I actually read books on marriage. I really wanted to get married. Um, my parents married when they were 18 and 19 sisters married at 21. So that's my background. I thought I'd be married by 19, have kids like 21, 22, something like that. All right. Uh, and so I was reading like deep merit, marital books, then relationships by, you know, these different people and, and getting ready and, and starting to pray into it. And then I got sick and, uh, that's a whole nother long story, but I got sick so bad. I had to drop the semester. I had to go back to Northern Virginia. I was in the hospital for, for some time. And then I was bedridden for like a month and a half. And then I couldn't like exercise for almost a year. And, uh, it was, it was a long recuperation. I was on steroids, muscle relaxers, sleeping pills, uh, all sorts of pain medication for what I was going through. So I was pretty drugged up, but because I was in Northern Virginia and all my friends were at college, uh, I was kind of alone. And the only person that was around was her. She visited me in the hospital, you know, and I would just like think about her as I would lay in bed for like a month and a half. And I remember my mom came in one day. I was like, mom, I think, I think I'm going to ask her out. She's looking at me like all sick and like (laughs) drugged up. She's like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) You know, but my parents were very hands off, which I I kind of appreciate to a degree. They, they let me learn, uh, learn the hard way. Uh, and so she, she told me like, for both my previous girlfriend and for this one, she told me both times, like, I don't think this is good, but I'm not going to stop you. And, uh, so I asked that girl out as I was recovering, dated with her, man, the first like few weeks was awesome. Had a great time. And then it got old fast. <laughs> it was just like so much for this. Uh, we had struggles. I thought it'd be a lot easier because she's Christian, but the truth is we weren't on the same wa- same, same wavelength at all. Uh, and I realized that I'd put so much hope in her because she was a sweet girl and, you know, Christian and just seemed right. And a lot of people had encouraged us to date. They were like, you guys would look great together. And so I put all this hope in her 
And I thought like, I'm going to get married and she's going to be the one, even though she's still in high school. And, uh, and when we broke up, I just realized like, man, this doesn't satisfy. Like I thought it was satisfy and I thought like everything would be great, but it wasn't. And it left a very empty feeling. I wasn't bitter after I, I broke up with her, but I was very empty. And I was wounded as well. I mean, anytime you break up, there's a wound that needs to be healed. And so uh, I, I just started to you know, seek the Lord more, hang out with guys more, went back to Virginia Tech, and just wasn't sure how I was feeling. And I felt God speak to me one day. He said, I want you to give up girls uh, until you graduate from college. Now, that was huge for me, okay? Uh, and this is because it was an idol for me. And... I thought I would get married and my focus was all on marriage. My focus wasn't on engineering. My focus wasn't on God. My focus wasn't on the church or family. It was all on getting married. And suddenly God's saying, look away from that for a while. And I think because God had graced me through those previous two relationships and I had tasted it already and kind of seen this doesn't satisfy and I need God in order for it to satisfy. I need his blessing in order for it to satisfy. I said, okay. And so I gave up seeking girls. And uh, I also began to really correct my behavior around girls. And, you know, being more clear in communication, uh, being more honorable, not being flirting, not, not giving any signs like that, but really treating them like a sister, more like a sister than even a friend. And I want to tell you, my time in college was amazing. During those years, because God granted me that grace to lay down that idol, I was really able to focus on him. I was able to focus on friendships. I was able to focus on even like activities and, and fun stuff and just enjoy it without stress, without just focusing on this person and getting wrapped up in this person. And you're supposed to satisfy me and, and, you know, we're supposed to have fun and, oh, we broke up and now I'm all crushed. Well, I got to find someone else. What a horrible cycle. You know, if you're not mature, if you haven't given your idol to the Lord, you're going to find that you're putting all your hope in that person and you're always going to be disappointed. I don't care who you marry. You can marry the greatest person in the world. If your expectations is all in them, they can't be God to you. You're going to be disappointed. And, and so God granted me that grace. And uh, after college, I'd gotten to the point where I still wanted to get married, but it wasn't an idol for me. And I was able to just put the Lord first in everything. And God sent me to Korea and I could see his grace that I didn't have a girlfriend when I went to Korea or that would have torn me up being in an orphanage with my girlfriend back in, in America. And then as I was out here, um, God really enabled me to grow and grow. And when God began to lift that grace of fasting from relationships, it was perfect timing. And it was right when Sky actually came to Korea. And, uh, you know, for a few years, Pastor Christian had gotten kind of frustrated that I wasn't getting married. And, you know, he's like, who are you interested in? I wasn't interested in anyone. And, uh, he's like, what's wrong with you? You know, your ideals are all messed up. And, and, uh, I just realized that it's like there had been a grace over me for a season. And then when God began to lift it, I went on a blind date with some other girl. Uh, you know, it didn't work out, but then through that blind date, God opened my eyes to sky. We had been friends for a while. And suddenly I, I began to think like, what would it be like if I were to ask her out? And uh, I got excited. I got really excited. And uh, I shared with, with Pastor Christian, and, you know, he's, like, shocked that I was interested in someone. You know, he'd known me for five years already, and this is, like, the first time. And he's like, okay, great, you know, all right, go for it. But then that night, I got an email from him, and he said, hey, actually, I think it would be wise for you to take, like, 30 days 
just to pray about it and, and to not pursue. And you know what? It blessed me a lot that he wrote that. At first, I was like, no, I want to just move. But then as I read that, I just felt like, no, this is so good. I need this. And so I took 30 days to pray. Now, I want to tell you, if dating had been an idol in my life, I would have kicked and screamed. I'd be like, no, man, I'm going to do what I want. You know, no, I know what I want. I'm going to move forward. You know, I'm going to go my own way. But because that idol had been laid down through that time of fasting, and because I had grown in my identity in Christ, it, it was actually really good to submit to that, to pray. And it was during that time God did so much. That's a whole nother testimony. So much in her to prepare her for dating me. If I had asked her out at the very beginning, I don't know if we would have worked out, to be honest. That's how much God did in that one month as I was waiting and as I was praying. And when I asked her out, I was at such a place of peace that I knew we were risking, I was risking our friendship that, you know, if she said no, or if we were to date and then break up, we would never be the same friends again. But I had such a peace to know that, man, God will satisfy me. God is good. I'm going to be all right. Even if she says no, I'm not going to like go home and cry and sob and roll around, you know, because she's not my idol. You know, God is, God is my God. He is my Lord. He is my savior. And so my confidence was so strong. I was in such a healthy place and we had a great time dating and we've had a great marriage. All right. So dating was one of my idols. All right. That was a big idol for my life. And God really helped take away the power of it through fasting. Another one is music. These are idols for me. They might not be idols for you, but if you get in this strong conviction, all right, listen closely. I grew up um, loving music. I would listen to music while going to sleep since I think fourth grade. Uh, you put the headphones in and just listen to the radio uh, until going to sleep. Who listens to the radio now? You got like two people. <laughs> yeah. I feel so old, you know, <laughs> like no one listens to the radio now. Uh, but I would listen to the radio and I really liked depressing rock music. It was great. You know, like Pearl Jam and Counting Crows, a bunch of groups you don't know. Uh, I really enjoyed them. I was a very white kid and, uh, turn on my depressing music and just kind of zone out. And, uh, I went through depression in high school and I would listen to all this depressing music. Doesn't help. Uh, and you know, just continue to go through high school. And then in college during that time when I initially started to grow with God, I found out that Lifehouse, a band that I liked, this rock band had some Christian members and I was like, get out of here. Some of these songs are actually Christian. And I started to listen to Christian music. And I noticed that when I listened to my secular music, my mood would go down and I would just be depressed or I'd be angry. Or I'd be like rebellious or I'd be, you know, like I want to run away and, you know, listen to that music. And then when I would listen to like Christian music, I feel really happy and like really good and really sweet. But man, this music sounded so good. And I love to be depressed, you know, and just like be melancholy and just think about life, you know? And, and so I would mix between the two and it was just really weird. Like I'd be in, in my room, dorm room, turn on Everclear and like listen to, you know, all these songs by them about drugs and about, you know, all sorts of other stuff. And then I'd switch over to worship album. <laughs> like my roommate probably thought I was, you know, something was wrong with me, but, uh, that's how I was. And, uh, I noticed though, just as I grew with God, the contrast between when I would listen to that music, I really liked the secular stuff. And when I would listen to praise music. And when I was a third year, I had a huge CD collection and all my secular stuff that I really liked was in the front. And I put the Christian stuff in the back. You know, I had one of those big like albums 
And uh, I lived with a guy in, in uh, Richmond during an internship, and we were just talking about music. And he said, yeah, you know, my pastor said that, uh, you know, we, sh- we shouldn't listen to secular music. I was like, well, you know, in my mind, I was like, your pastor's religious. You know? <laughs> and uh, and uh, I went to my room, but there was like this like twinge of like conviction because I knew what the music that I loved was doing to me, but I did not want to let it go. And I was holding on to it. And I was like, no, nah, man, it's okay. I can even twist the lyrics like it's God, you know, like it's something good, yeah, whatever. But uh, I would do that. And uh, then as the years continued to go by, I just started to realize, again, that's such the contrast. And um, I began to move my Christian stuff to the front of the album and my other stuff to the back. But I was just holding on to it. You know, now and then I just, I'm in the mood. I got to listen to that depressing stuff, you know. And then I remember a youth pastor visited uh, my house and he, you know, I was like, oh, let me show you my music. I got some great CDs. I got Matt Redman and, and Hillsong United and stuff. And, and uh, you know, so he opens it up and he's like, yeah. And then he gets to the back. He's like, Hootie and the Blowfish. I love them. And he like starts like finding all my secular stuff and starts taking it out. And I knew that his faith wasn't that strong. He was a youth pastor, but I knew like his faith was, wasn't so strong. And I also knew that when I listened to those specific albums, how I would feel. And he's like, let, let me borrow these. I'm like, oh, okay. And I was like, oh man, that's not good. Like this music, I know what it does to me. You know, I hope it doesn't do the same to him, but I could kind of sense he had the same issues. And then I was supposed to lead a bunch of freshmen at Virginia Tech during my fourth year. And I knew that all this music that I had if they were to see it, they would be like, oh, well, then it's okay. And while it wasn't owning me at that time, uh, and I wasn't like listening to it all the time like I did in high school, I just didn't want to be that witness. And so I felt led one day to take all those CDs worth hundreds of dollars, maybe even a thousand, shatter them all, throw them in the trash can. I didn't even want to throw them out whole because I didn't want somebody to find them. Um, you know what's funny? You guys know Pastor, who knows Pastor John Newfeld at uh, New Philly Sheetland? Both him and I have the exact same favorite song of our lives, okay? It's by this group called Sponge. Anybody know Sponge? That's right. Nobody. Do you know Sponge? Kind of. It's a song called Molly. Uh, And See You Naked in the Bath is the first lyrics of that song. It's like 16 candles down the drain. It's such like a depressing song, but it has great guitar. And he's like, I wanted to name my first daughter Molly. <laughs> like, could you imagine from that song? Like, you're named after this song. But we had such a connection, Pastor John and I, of our like past depressing, you know, music. And so I got rid of it all. And it's not that secular music is outright evil, okay? But if you do get deep into it, you will find that a lot of it is spoken out of the soul, and it's not spoken out of a renewed soul. It's spoken out of a lost soul. Many of them high on drugs. All right. Um, we were at a birthday party and, uh, you know, if you were there, don't, don't judge the person or anything because a lot of you love this song too. But, um, she sang this song, uh, I'm like a bird. I want to fly away. I don't know where my soul is. I don't know where my home is. You guys know that song? It's a great song, right? I call it the orphan spirit song. All right. (laughs) Sorry to ruin it for you, but when you listen to it, that's exactly what an orphan does. Like, I'm like a bird. I just want to leave. I'm never satisfied. I don't know where my soul is. I don't know where my home is. I'm just going to go. And the funny thing is, is, some of the people I've seen sing that deal with those issues. And I'm like, oh, I got to get that song out. So I want you guys to examine 
the music that you listen to. Maybe, maybe it's conviction for you, maybe not. But see where your soul is when you listen to it. Maybe for you it's movies. All right, for me, I'm okay with movies. It doesn't affect me. There isn't this idol with movies, except for movies with uh, heavy lust. I won't watch movies with, with nudity or with you know, heavy sex scenes because I just know that's not good for me. All right, that's not healthy for me. So I just, it's not just fasting. It's like I just don't do it. But other movies, it's not like this idol or like, oh, you know, I'm getting owned by this. But for me, personally, music can be very strong. Now and then, I'll listen to some music. Even today, I was with Pastor John and Pastor Marcus at some hamburger place, and they were playing, like, Coldplay. And I was like, oh, I used to play this song all the time, you know? But even for some of that music, if I listen to it too much, it can take me to another place. What fasting can do is it removes the idol. Now, for me, I can listen to that music and not, like, get sucked in, get sucked in by it. I know my limits because I fasted from it. And so what you want to find is what are these things that are controlling you? Maybe take a season from it and see how you do. Gosh, we did a media fast this past week. How many of you guys did the media fast or for one week? It used to be for me, a media fast was so easy. It's like, no problem. Now when I do a media fast, I feel like I'm fasting food. I wake up in the morning and it's like, I'm hungry. And I'm like, oh man, yeah, I guess I can't eat today. No, wait, I can't eat, but I can't look at the internet. Oh. You know, like that. And it just amazes me, like, how empty my soul feels when I don't have my, my, my smartphone to look at. And, and I'm realizing, whoa, this thing's becoming like an idol. It's not that it's evil, but if I allow it to consume me too much, I'm going to lose it. And so even different leaders that were fascinated, they're like, man, we got to do this more often. Maybe we should do this once a month, you know, or something like that. And, you know, I don't know. You guys can do that, you know, however you're led. But it was another thing where I realized, well, this was an idol of my soul. This, I was finding my satisfaction in my smartphone. Previously, it had been in girls. Then it was in music. I was finding the satisfaction of my soul in this music. So you take this music away, I get angry. That's how you know it's an idol. When you get angry, when you get emotional, when something's taken away from you. I take away all your textbooks, you're going to be like, that's not my idol. You know, like, whatever. You know, but if I take your, your laptop and your smartphone... And I'm like, no, you can't use these. You can use this flip phone. How would you feel? Like, stupid flip phone. Like, I will crush it. You know, I, I don't know. But it, it shows the heart where you're at. When I'm shepherding people and I tell them, like, hey, I want you to lay off of this for a season. And I see them get angry. I'm like, oh, man, you better lay off of this for a season. You know, like, you, you got to for the sake of your soul because your satisfaction, it has to be found in him. So much more, God, am I hungry for you. You know, in the Bible, it says we're supposed to tithe. People get angry about that. Why do they get angry about that? Because their God is their money. And what tithing basically is, is it's a partial fast from money. It's saying, look, this money doesn't own me. God owns me. Everything that I have belongs to God. And so I'm going to give this as a tithe. That's automatic. And I'm even going to give an offering out of praise. And when you can tithe and give an offering in praise, money's not idle for you. You're okay. But when it's... Hard, that's when it's like, oh shoot, I might have an idol in here. I think I might need to fast. I think I might need to seek grace. I think I need to seek accountability for this. And God will will gradually strip that away. Um, I want to just close by sharing how God has satisfied my soul. All right, Uh, it, it isn't that God, you know, had me break those CDs and I was crying. God had given me a grace to that point where I was ready. 
All right. I don't recommend you guys, if you're suddenly getting convicted by this word, just go home right now and, and throw everything out without really thinking it through. All right. Because then I don't want you bitter at me. <laughs> um, it took time. Girls took time for God to remove that idol from me. All right. It took time and I had to learn from different mistakes. And through that, God began to remove that idol to the point where I was fully secure. I was fully confident. I was fully satisfied without having that in my life from music Slight conviction, slight conviction, started to move certain albums around, started to move all the CDs to the back, started to really just listen to worship music to the point where it's like, okay, I can let it go. I'm ready. And I laid it down. All right. You got to know your season. You got to know where you're at. You don't want to just, you know, do a 21 day fast of just water right away. You got to build yourself up. Build yourself up. Let God give you more grace. Say, God, I'm hungry more for you. Satisfy my soul. And he will. I guarantee it, he will. So for me, just, just briefly, I came to Korea uh, at the end of 05, lived in the orphanage with like, it was 88 kids when I arrived. Um, I lived in a room by myself in the orphanage with the kids, couldn't speak any Korean. Uh, I had to eat Korean food every day. Uh, I ate cereal in the morning, and then I had to eat rice and kimchi with something else uh, for lunch and for dinner. Now, most of you are Asian, but uh, if, you know, you grew up like, what you got to think of is if you're Asian, if, imagine if you cannot eat rice for three years and instead you got to eat like bread, all right, for every meal, all right, bread and potatoes. For some of you, it's like you can do that, but for others of you, you need your kimchi. Like, you'd be like, oh man, like I can do that for a couple of days, but after a few more days, like, you know, I need my pop. I, I need that. For me, it was totally opposite. Like I could eat one meal of it and then it's like, all right, I don't need more. You know, I want something else, but I had to live in the orphanage. And so I would eat it and I would just pray beforehand. God, give me grace to eat this. You know, help me finish it because if I don't finish it, they'll frown at me because I'm a bad example to the kids. So I'd have to eat it all. And I'm like, God, you know, I give up, I give up the good food to you. I'm, I'm living for you. You know, you satisfy me. And I, I gave it up to him. Then I love basketball. I get to the orphanage and they had basketball hoops in the home. And I got so excited and um, it's like a hoop, and then it's like this like rectangle structure with a couple bars. And I'm like, hey, kids, you know, let's play basketball. And they're like, basketball? Like, what's that? And they pull out a soccer ball, and they use the basketball hoop, which had those like different squares, as a goal. And I'm like, oh, no, this is like sacrilegious. And they're like, let's play, you know, soccer. And I'd never played soccer in my life. They would dribble it through my legs. And I was just like, I want to go home, you know. But uh, I was like, all right, God, I give up basketball, you know, for you. Now, I love ping pong growing up, love ping pong, uh, played a lot. And then, you know, I get to the orphanage and they got this big open space in the cafeteria. So I go to the director and I'm like, Hey, you know, with, with my own money, I'd like to buy the home, a ping pong table and put it in that, that area, you know, to be able to play with the kids. Isn't that a great idea? She said, no, <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> and, uh, I went away and, and later I understood why she said no, but it was just, all right, you know, I, I give that up. And there were a lot of other things uh, that I gave up. Uh, I remember even after high school, I gave up video games. Uh, I just got too busy with college and, uh, you know, seeking the Lord, studying. I would try and exercise. I really loved video games, but I, I gradually gave that up as well. That used to really satisfy me, really bless me, but I gave that up as well. And so I'm with my kids and we're doing different stuff. And I'm thinking, man, it'd be so great. If I had like a Nintendo and could play games with them, it'd just be fun, you know, with kids, like remembering my childhood. And then someone calls me and is like, Hey, I got this Xbox at a golf tournament. 
would you like it? It has four controllers and all these games. I'm like, sure. And I get it, and I start playing with my kids. And then I had this little tiny TV in, in the room that I was in, in the orphanage. It was just so small and blurry. But it was like, it's okay. God's blessed me, you know. But it'd be like, man, it'd be nice if this was a little bit bigger. And then one day, two of the kids, high school kids, are carrying up this huge box. I'm like, what is that? Oh, it's a TV donated to the home. And they said to put it in your room. I'm like, okay. I got this big box TV and, and got to do stuff with the kids. And then my second year there, they're like, hey, there's this basketball tournament. We want the kids to play. Can you coach them? And I'm like, okay. And I start coaching them, and they don't know how to do anything. They shoot, and it's like, bam, against the backboard. And, and uh, you know, <laughs> it was pretty bad. Really athletic kids, but all they know is kicking. And so I'm teaching them, but we're starting to have fun, and they're starting to taste it. And uh, now it's to the point where my kids play basketball all the time, every day. They love it. Just like uh, a few months ago, the home got two ping pong tables donated. All right, and they're in this other new room in the home. It's this like big spacious room. It's like my dream to have this huge room where you can like be far away and like hit it, not like against the wall, you know, trying to play. And uh, I play with my kids every day now after after dinner. They're like, "Jam taku," you know, ping pong, ping pong. And I'm like, "Okay," and you know, we go and we play. And uh, it blows me away. Now, food for a few years, I, I ate my rice and my kimchi. But now in Seoul, you have like every food there is. Now, in 2006, there was no Mexican. All right, there was very little international anything. The only international food I really ate was McDonald's. That was all I could find. All right, now we got everything. My wife is a great cook. Her mother is a great cook. And they make all sorts of food, like anything that I want, to the point where I'm eating like so much burgers and chicken. I'm like, what happened to me? You know, like... God is, is providing everything that I'd wanted, some things that I'd put off, you know, other things that I had just been like, it's okay, and laid it down. Suddenly God's just releasing these things because they're no longer idols for me. They're no longer things that I'm dependent on for satisfaction. But through fasting, through laying it down as an act of worship or just as an act of, man, I need help, you know, laying it down, God has given me grace to find my satisfaction fully in him and now I, some of those things I can enjoy and other of those things I just don't need. It's okay. Our marriage is amazing. And I'm so thankful that I didn't date like 20 girls before finding her. But that I had that time in between just to grow with the Lord, grow in my identity, grow in my confidence, get built up so that when I did date her, I wasn't this insecure, you know, selfish guy. Um, but that I was more mature and more loving. God is so good. So I want to encourage you guys. You know, Michelle talked about the idols of SNU and, you know, and ca- casting them down is a very strong word. And often we think of like, you know, this like Buddhist idol or like, you know, this mosque or something else that, that is an idol. But often the idols in our lives aren't, aren't these big things. It's stuff of our soul. It's the stuff in our soul that's eating us away. Your relationships, alcohol, you know, the music, the trying to find acceptance through different people. And, and God can lead us in ways of, Gradually, you know, kind of stepping back from it and turning to him a bit more, finding that satisfaction and no longer being ruled by those idols any longer and being able to pull other people out as well. All right. Um, JP, if you could come up for the guitar. I want to pray for you guys. That's the word. Let me just say a prayer for that word, and then uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. But I want to pray for you guys just regarding what I just shared. 
Hallelujah, God, I thank you, Lord, for SNU, and I thank you, Father, for every soul that is in this place, God, for every son and daughter made in your image, Lord, fearfully and wonderfully made, God. God, I thank you that you have plans to prosper them and not to harm them, plans for a hope and for a future. God, I thank you, Lord, that in Psalm 145, 16, it says, you open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. And, Father, it is our prayer that every person here, Lord, uh, every student, every staff, every grad student, every visitor, Lord, that they will experience their satisfaction fully in you. That, Lord, anything that may be eating away at our soul, Lord, that you will reveal it in your gentleness, in your goodness, that you will grant us grace to gradually step back, grace to fast, grace to look to you, not in bitterness, not begrudgingly, God, but because you're good. Because you're good. I just pray that that goodness of God fill every heart, Lord, that we can lay these things down, Lord, and find our confidence, our strength, our satisfaction in you, Lord. May you bless this group and may you bless this university, Lord. May you do a mighty work in SNU. May you open their eyes to their need for a savior, for their need, Lord God, for a shepherd of their souls, God. May you open the eyes of SNU. Father, we pray, lift up the gates of SNU, Lord God. Be opened up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in to SNU, Lord. Hallelujah, God, that you may receive the worship that is due your name. Lord, we magnify you over us in you, Lord. We bless your name, and I bless this group that they may be bright lights for your glory. Amen.